<laughs> Welcome to Sunday Morning Live. Today I got an exciting topic. We're going to talk about metamorphosis change or shape shifting. In other words, we're going to look at uh, how we can accelerate change in our lives and how we can slow it down or even short circuit it altogether. <laughs> and a lot of it is determined by whether or not we are in flow or we are in resistance. So I hope you'll stay with me. I'm going to give uh, <clears throat> some people a little bit of time to jump on here. Hope everybody's doing well this morning. I'm doing well. And looking forward to getting into this. One of the things that I've been thinking about a lot lately, talked to a few of my friends about it as well, is uh, having after having gone through deconstruction, <laughs> not allowing um not giving up language not giving up principles not giving up wisdom not giving up things that worked just because those principles or that language or that wisdom came to me when i was in a former form as an evangelical pastor just because i'm deconstructed from the faith that i once held <clears throat> does not mean that I have to surrender everything that enriched my life during those decades of my life. In fact, I've been pretty foolish for doing that. And I haven't done it to the degree that I, that, that maybe some people have, but I still haven't, I, I, I've still surrendered or yielded some things that I'm determined to reclaim. So this is, uh, part of my reclamation this morning. So we're going to look at some scripture. We're going to talk about some principles uh, that I think will be very powerful for you and I think will be very effective for you. And I'm going to share some things very authentically and transparently <clears throat> with you about my life. <clears throat> As an example, hopefully, that many of you will be able to relate to, uh, principles that you'll be able to relate to that will really be a benefit to you. So I want to come back and talk about something at the risk of sounding like a I'm beating a dead horse here or something. Uh, I think I saw a statistic or someone shared with me. Now, I think it was uh, I talked to with uh, my friend Vanessa R. Brooks, who was a great encouragement and helped me along these lines as well. And I think she shared with me that and I, I don't want to misquote. I should have looked these up ahead of time. But I think something like only 17 percent of Americans consider themselves to be atheists. Now, adherence to traditional Christian faiths, to traditional denominations and things like this have certainly been on the decline in recent years in America, no doubt about it. We're seeing all kinds of, of change and things like that that are happening. And for sure, there is a... I think global awakening that's happening, especially in fundamentalist, uh, among fundamentalist Christians, where, where there's a, a waking up and then a dying of what my friend Jeff Turner calls the God concept, the God concept, not necessarily a dying of God. But the concepts that we had of God, and this this actually is something that you'll find in almost all the writing of writings of Christian mystics. It's this 
way of the negative, the way of negation, they call it. And it's not negative in the sense that it's bad or negative in the sense that it's destructive. It's negative in the sense that we grow in our awareness of God. We grow in our awareness of reality by defining it or defining God by what God is not or defining reality by what it is not. So this whole deconstruction thing is not anything new. It's actually part of a mystical process. And that's where I think we've, I know for sure, that's where I've missed it. And I haven't really heard anybody, not anybody, talk about how deconstruction is part of a mystical process that is drawing out your own divine spark. Or if you prefer to use this language, bringing you into a deeper experiential knowledge of who God is or who the divine is. So God is not this, and he's not this. And I just said he. God is not masculine. God is not feminine. God is not, God is not a concept. And so what, what I realize, especially after this weekend, I had some really great conversations this weekend with a number of different people, and they all kind of hit on this same theme. But again, I want to come back to something that I heard Jeff Turner talking about, uh, his God concept dying. And that's really, that really resonated with me because, you know, I've been very uh, upfront in this whole process. A lot of people that I know who go through this process that I'm going to talk to you about and that many, if not most or all of you have been on this journey uh, with me or you've been on this journey alongside me or we've been taking the journey in some sense together. In other words, when I talk about stuff, you're able to relate to it and you're able to identify with it and you're able to resonate with it because you're going through some of the same things. And so I want, I want to talk about this process and how we can make it easier. But those of you that have been watching and stuff, a lot of people that I know who were trying to heal their religious trauma or going through this deconstruction phase and process very much end up with a materialistic or atheistic or agnostic point of view where they just, um, they just give up on all of it. And a lot of people deconstruct from religion or deconstruct from the Bible through using logic and, and reason. And so then we end up elevating logic and reason to become our new Bible, if you will. Science becomes our new Bible. In other words, we're looking for that authority to tell us what truth is. So if you were a fundamentalist especially, then in your churches or in your life, the truth was in the Word of God, right? The truth was in the Bible. God said it, I believe it, that settles it kind of thing. And then, and, and I was certainly there. I was certainly there. I, I certainly would refer to scripture or my understanding of scripture for guidance and for making decisions in my life for a period of time. But the more I think back on the last, you know, most of my ministry as a pastor, it wasn't just going back to the Bible and, well, what does the Bible say here? I mean, certainly there was some of that. But very early on in my 
growth in ministry, my growth as a pastor, <clears throat> I was impacted by scripture. So in, in essence, I am taking my leading from the scriptures. But there's a scripture in Romans chapter 8 that says that the sons of God are those who are led by the Spirit. And I began to realize that it was not really practical or effective to try to just go into the scriptures and find what they say and then try to apply them. I had to be led by the Spirit. And how could I be led by the Spirit? Well, for me, that was what was happening inside of me. Uh, the movements of my own soul, if you will, or the movements of the Spirit upon my soul really became how I was being led. But for a lot of people, that that wasn't their experience. It was just scripture. It was what the pastor said. It was what the elder said. It was what the apostle said. It was what the prophet said. But there's some standard of guidance for authority in their lives, and that authority was the scriptures. And then by applying reason and critical thinking, to a lot of the doctrines that we were taught, to even the Bible itself, uh, for a lot of people, it's like, okay, I can't believe I live my life by these myths and these fairy tales and these stories. And so I've got to find something that is an authority for me. It's not that much different than in the Protestant Reformation. The whole reason we started elevating the Bible to this place of being the Word of God uh, was because the reformers in the Protestant Reformation had to find an authority that they could substitute for the Pope and for the bishops and for tradition. Uh, Christianity didn't start out with a Bible. It, it didn't start out with Scripture. And it didn't exist for 1400 years with the Scripture as its foundation. It's found It was more organic than that. Its foundation was the apostolic succession, they would call it, of the Catholic Church. And Scripture was a part of the tradition. It, it, but, but it was the church that authorized the Bible. Most people say at the Council of Nicaea. It didn't happen at the Council of Nicaea, but that's neither here nor there. It was many, many decades later. But again, the 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 bishops at the time authorized the Bible. The Bible didn't authorize the bishops. So it was a byproduct of the authority of people, right? And this was understood. And then in the Protestant Reformation, they had to break away from that. So they were looking for a new authority. So they came up with what they call sola scriptura, which is Latin for the scriptures alone. And then the scriptures replaced the Pope, right? So we are in the midst, I believe, of something absolutely as radical as the Reformation. Probably even more radical than the Reformation. And this problem of authority is a problem for us. And so what a lot of people have done is they've chucked the traditions of their faith, they've chucked the Bible, and because it was critical thinking that got them out of that, because it was logical and linear thinking that got them out of that, then they begin to use logic and reason and rationalism and turn to science. And so now science is the new canon. Science is the new authority. And what we're using and depending upon and exalting and magnifying is linear thinking, logic, and reason. Now, don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with linear thinking, logic, and reason, but neuroscience tells us that that is a very 
small portion of the brain that we are using. In other words, in comparison to the size of the brain, we're using what typically is known as left brain thinking when we're doing logic and we're doing reason and we're doing linear thinking. And I'm going to hopefully come, remember to come back to that because I feel like I'm all over the place this morning. But hopefully I'm going to remember to come back to that and tell you some problems and some issues that I see with that and what can be some of the fruit of that. So all of that, and, and so what happens, though, is when they these people deconstruct from Christianity and they go all logic, all reason, all rationale, all linear thinking, and they go all science as the new authority, as the new pope in their life, as the new scripture in their life, basically, is what's happening. And throw away everything else, they're going to end up atheists and they're going to end up materialists. Because that's all science really is designed by its design, by its paradigm, is materialistic. So, of course, that's where you're going to end up. Now, I've been very clear and very staunch that that's not where I'm at. Well, so, Aaron, where are you? I don't know exactly because I'm still in this process, this mystical process of negation when it comes to God concepts. Like, I can promise you that my God concept that I got from Christianity is dead. My God concept that I got from the ancient scriptures is dead. <laughs> My God concept of atheism, which I never held, but atheism in and of itself is a God concept. It's a God concept. And so I'm not alive to that God concept either. And so w- where do I find myself? So <clears throat> I want to come back to, <laughs> I want to come back to, and, and what I've, I've frequently come back to is I was absolutely participating with that which was transcendent when I was a Christian pastor. I was absolutely participating with the transcendent. I was absolutely participating with the ineffable. And there were many, 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 many paranormal, supernatural types of experiences that were happening. And I've said on here before that I haven't talked about these a lot, but I'm going to talk about some of them. And because I decided I've I've avoided talking about it for a lot of different reasons. I have a lot of different reasons to avoid talking about like encounters that I've had and things that I've experienced and things that we experience as a church. Many of you that are on here, you can testify and validate the experiences because you were there as well. And I'm sorry if I left you, some of you, uh, spinning with your head spinning with the way that I have navigated my own journey. I'm genuinely sorry about that. I was so caught up in my own process. I was so wounded from years of spiritual abuse and religious abuse. And things were happening for me so quickly that I just kind of bailed. I just kind of bailed. And so I wasn't as mindful of the fact that there was a whole group of people that had come alongside of me who had experienced the same things. And then because of my deconstructing process or because of my tailspin, 
you were going through your own deconstruction process. You were going through your own tailspin. And then for me, it just got ramped up. I mean, all this stuff happens in a very short period of time. My father dies. I burn out partly from being a caretaker for my father for many years, who was very ill for many years. I burn out completely. I have a supernatural awakening experience that changes my life in 20 minutes and shows me all my dysfunction. <laughs> Almost like, like, like if, if you could imagine, we all have blind spots. We all have things that we do to protect our own ego so that we, we all have confirmation biases. We all have self-serving biases. So we can't always see ourselves in terms of our faults or our flaws as they actually are. And it felt like for me, I'll, I'll never forget it, my father dies in 2015, and then 2016 I lay down and have this mystical, visionary, out-of-body experience. And when I come back, I'm seeing every dysfunction in my life, and it's just staring me in my face. What was shown to me in that experience, like, pulled the cover off. It, like, pulled the veil off. And so I'm seeing, like, all this dysfunction. So I'm burnt out. I'm um still grieving the loss of my father. And then I see all this crazy dysfunction. And then right after that, most of you don't know this, but I have amongst my leadership team at the time at the church, the most childish, the most stupid, the most middle school stuff going on with my core leadership team who couldn't get away because I got away for a brief period of time to try to recover and to try to heal. And the children in 50, 40-year-old bodies couldn't play well in the sandbox together. And so that was blowing up and splintering and fracturing on me as well. So I'm going through all of this stuff and... Then 2017, my mom dies. <clears throat> that was very devastating for me. That was very hard for me to get over. And then, you know, I was just kind of felt like I was starting to get my groove back, if you will, starting to get clear clarity on things. And then the pandemic happens, and I'm sitting here watching the church, the prophetic church especially, lose their minds and have no voice and no answers and no precognitions or predictive words about it. And it just, I just, I, I abandoned, and then I'm, you know, how crazy was 2020, right? And then we had, uh, and so I just kind of, I just kind of abandoned ship. So for those of you that were part of our church that are still here, I'm glad you're still here. I'm sorry that I wasn't more aware of your process. And so this, to a certain degree, is my mea culpa to you. It's my apology to you. And also, it's hopefully my opportunity to say some things now that I'm able to make more sense out of what was going on in my life. It's my opportunity, hopefully, to help you understand some things that went on in your life. And for the rest of you, I hope you'll be able to relate. So all of that, all of that that I just said for the last 20 minutes was rambling. 
<laughs> it's rambling, but it's also my introduction. So I'll tell you how this happened. And you can go on my YouTube channel and you can hear the full story, but um, no, I don't want to do that. I'm going to tell you this story because this ties in with what I want to share. So <clears throat> February 13th, 20. 18, February 13th, 2018. I, I had become a very skilled, very developed meditator. I started meditation in the late nineties, uh, read a book by Thomas Keating called Contemplative Prayer, which basically is a Christian version of transcendental meditation. And I really gave myself to it. And then I learned about, uh, binaural beats. In the late 90s, binaural beats, I, I bought a set. They were on CD. That's how old this was. Is it CD or tape? Might even been cassette tapes. That might be how far back it goes. But anyway, these guys were producing binaural beats and playing with binaural beats. Now, what binaural beats are is they send um, different tones into the ears that manipulates the brainwave pattern to shift the brainwave pattern into deep states of meditation. And so what can take people decades to get into certain states of being to access parts of the brain that the research has been done with like Tibetan Buddhist monks and people have spent a long time meditating. They're able to get into, Joe Dispenza talks about it, these delta brainwave patterns and these gamma brainwave patterns. And I start playing around with that stuff really early on. So here's another, here's another confession for my people that were part of our ministry and part of our church. Uh, you know, the crazy thing happened. I had prepared myself for ministry and I entered into ministry when I was 30 years old and I'm on the beach in South Carolina and I have this vision of Jesus where Jesus comes to me and he's carrying this baby lamb. <laughs> And he hands me this baby lamb, and I think it's a message, it's a word from God about being a pastor, about being a shepherd. And he hands me the baby lamb, and it's like this scope that they would use for surgery. I, I notice there's a wound in the part of the lamb. And then all of a sudden in this visionary encounter, it's like this scope goes into the wound, <clears throat> and all of a sudden I realized I'm, I'm the lamb here, and I'm wounded, and I've been wounded by the church. I was 30 years old. This is like 2000. I don't even think I was 30 yet. I think I was 29 years old. So this is like 2000. And at that point in time, I was completely disillusioned with the evangelical church. I was completely disillusioned with the church, charismatic, evangelical, word of faith, at 29, 30 years old. And I realized that that was the source of a lot of hurt and that they didn't have the answers. But at 30 years old, I'm just stepping in to a brand new ministry. No, not 30. I think 29 years old. I'm stepping into a brand new, not, not that it matters, but I was young. Stepping into a brand new ministry and I'm realizing I don't want to be that. I don't want to be that. And so what I used to do was I'd do these meditations. I would put on these uh, binaural beats. I would do transcendental meditation or whatever. I would do it for hours. 
I'd go into these brainwave states. I would be altering my consciousness. And then what I would do is I would, I would go to Barnes and Noble and I would, I would make sure there was nobody from the church around, right? There, I'd try to make sure that I couldn't be seen. And I would go into the self-help section or I would go into the metaphysical section and I would find these metaphysical books and they would speak to me and they would make my heart come alive. And then I would read these metaphysical principles and I would go back and find them in the Bible. That's what I was doing. I wasn't looking at the Bible. Oh, this is truth and this is the word. I think that's what I thought I was doing. But what I was doing was what was coming alive in me, what was resonating with me when I would read these books. And then I would go back and I'd find these stories or these principles in the scripture that would support that. And then I would preach and I would deliver that. And then out of that there began to be this flow of supernatural and paranormal things that were happening that I didn't see happening in any other churches, even churches that said they believed in them. Yeah, maybe once in a blue moon, maybe once every once in a while, or maybe there were a few standout experiences. But now at the same time, I want to be sensitive because I don't want to, I don't want to create the image that it's more than what it was because we had people who died. We had people that we prayed for that we lost. We had people that were be prayed for and wouldn't be healed. We would have people that would experience crazy supernatural stuff and instant deliverances, and we would have people that wouldn't experience anything, couldn't even get a goosebump. And I don't know why that is. I don't know why that is. I know that with the death of my God concept, I can say for certainty that it's not because those people did something wrong and it's not because they didn't jump through enough hoops or it's not because God up in the sky just chose to bless some and not bless others. That God concept to me is completely dead and I don't have the answers to those questions and I grapple with those questions and I wrestle with those questions to this day. But what I'm talking about right now is, is why I can't be a materialist, why I can't be an atheist because of these types of experiences. Now, Coming back to February 13th, 2019. And I go into a deep place of meditation. I could go like this. I could leave my body. I could go places in the astral realm. I could uh, go into deep places of meditation. And I go into this experience, and I don't want to get lost in the details of this experience. I've only ever told parts of it. Those of you that heard this experience before, I've only ever told parts of it. So maybe it would be best to tell the rest of it. So back then, I still believed in the Christian version of heaven, from Revelation chapter 4, Revelation chapter 5. And I get caught up. I would go out and into what I thought was the heavens. <clears throat> and I'm seeing the scene as I suppose whoever wrote the book of John, uh, Revelation, but we'll say John the Apostle, is seeing the elders and the living creatures. And he's seeing the throne and one sitting on the throne. And I hear in my voice, I hear in my voice, is Jesus the man sitting on the throne? Is Jesus the man sitting on the throne? And I had to answer the question, and I thought for a second, I wasn't really seeing it, because I was just seeing like this numinous light radiating in front of me. 
But I knew from the scriptures, I said, no, it's not Jesus. What is it? <laughs> it's, it's a lamb having seven eyes, seven horns. And then this voice said to me, what is that? And I said, well, that's symbols. That's symbolic. And then I thought, what, but what does it stand for? What does it symbolize? And I came out of that experience and I opened up the scriptures and I looked and I saw something I'd never seen before. It actually doesn't say on the throne was a lamb with seven eyes and seven horns. It actually says in the throne is a lamb with seven eyes and seven horns. But then it goes on and says it's in the throne, not on the throne, and it's in the midst of. Now, you can read this two different ways. You can read it as in the center, but it says it's in the center of the throne. We always thought it was on stage with the throne behind it, right? That's how I've always seen it pictured or whatever, or on the throne. But it's not on the throne, and it's not like center stage in the middle like of a circle, like how it's pictured. It's in the middle of the throne. It's in the center of the throne. This what There's something in the center of the throne that is being symbolized by a lamb with seven eyes and seven horns. And then it says that it's in the elders and that it's in the living creatures. And all of a sudden the light came on and I realized we're not talking about Jesus the man. We're not talking about a historical Jesus. We are talking about, I promise I'm going to get to shape-shifting. I promise I am. I promise. We're talking about not Jesus the man. We're not talking about anything that can be captured in time and space. We're talking about a principle or an energy or a consciousness that is being represented to the ancient people as a lamb having seven eyes and seven horns that permeates everyone and everything in all of creation, including what we would call the throne itself. Now, the part of the story that I've never told before, ever to anybody, is that I left that. I started ascending, if you will, to higher realms in the astral planes or however you want to, whatever whatever it is, I'm definitely not consciously in my body, in my meditation room. I'm having this very dreamlike experience, I guess is the best way to experience it, or to express it, and I'm going up higher, and I go into this place, and I see a Merkaba spinning, a Merkaba of light spinning, and I don't even know how to describe it, but all I can tell you is that all of a sudden, it was as though time didn't exist. In other words, it was a space and there was a download of knowledge So it's like being in this state of consciousness or this place or this space where it transcends the God concepts. See, the lower realm, and I'm, I'm, it's hard to talk about these things and try to be understood. That's probably why I haven't shared these things. The lower levels would represent the way in our consciousness as Western people, because it's not just Christians. 
the entire Western consciousness has many of its foundations upon, whether you like it or not, Western Christian thinking. And those foundations in the collective unconscious Collective unconsciousness of the Western mind are, uh, they're, they're, they're just there. They're part of the mental furnishing. But so in the first experience, what I'm seeing is it's not really about Jesus. It's not really even about anything that the book of Revelation was talking about. In this experience, what I'm seeing is that there was this principle energy, this power, this force, this current that's being symbolized by the lamb having seven eyes and seven horns. And it's in the throne, it's in the elders, and it's in the living creatures. In other words, it completely it's 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 the fabric of creation. It transcends the stories of the Bible. It transcends our doctrines and our dogmas. It's in it's woven into the fabric of creation. And then in the second experience I'm taking into another type of visionary experience that transcends all of that. What am I talking about when I'm talking about shape-shifting? I'm going to get to shape-shifting, I promise, because that's the title of my message. <laughs> I promise I didn't do that just for clickbait. Here's where the shape-shifting comes in. I come back into myself, and that was a radical change and shift for me back then, too. Yeah, it had to have been 2018. And I thought, we're not even supposed to be worshiping Jesus. And normally I wouldn't teach out of those experiences because I didn't feel like I could teach from my experience. I did feel like the Bible was the authority of our faith. And so if I was going to teach something or preach something, I didn't want to be preaching it out of my experience. That's why I couldn't just stand up and preach, you know, metaphysical principles from a metaphysical book. I had to ground it in scripture. At least that's what I told myself. That was the sort of mind tricks that were going on. So I come back. Now, keep in mind, I live in Colorado. It's February 13th, so it's dead of winter here. Day before Valentine's Day. It's Wednesday, and I'm going to go preach on Wednesday night because we still have Wednesday night services. And I'm getting ready to go, and I'm shaving. I'll never forget, I'm in the mirror shaving, and Josiah comes running in, excited as he could be, and he says, look, Dad, I've got a new pet. And I'm I'm shaving, right? And so I'm like, oh, no, what did we get now? Because, you know, we're always collecting pets, rather from the pet store or outside with Josiah. And I turn and look, and he's got this beautiful yellow monarch butterfly in his hand. <clears throat> and I'm like, did his mom take him to the store? Like, did they, did they go to the pet store at Walmart or something and find this butterfly? Or where'd he get this butterfly? How, how'd he get home with this butterfly? And, <laughs> and so here's the crazy thing. Right after I had that experience, um, in one of our rooms, kind of our junk rooms, we, we have a junk room. We might have a couple junk rooms. Fairly good sized house. Do you guys have junk rooms? I hope I'm not embarrassing anyone in my family by saying we have a junk room, but it's kind of a junk room. Not, not bad, but just, you know, it was where stuff went that we didn't know what to do with or weren't ready to deal with yet. And there was a tissue box in that junk room. And back in Joe, I don't know. I'm going to really pay attention to when caterpillars come out. Uh, 
this spring. I haven't seen any yet. But let's say even June or July, Josiah caught these caterpillars, and he put them in this box hoping they would go into a cocoon and that they would transform. And they all died. Like the full lifespan, because I looked it up, like the full lifespan, if I remember correctly, of a monarch butterfly from egg to death, (laughs) egg, caterpillar, cocoon, butterfly dying, is like 90 days or something like that. I mean, it's it's not long. But they certainly do not stay in, a caterpillar does not stay alive without food for seven months. And it doesn't stay in the cocoon for seven or eight months. And so right after this experience, all of a sudden, one of those butterflies comes alive and is just flipping around inside the box. And Josiah hears it inside the tissue box. He opens up the tissue box and here's this beautiful monarch butterfly. So, of course, he wants to take it to church. So he he takes it to church and... The butterfly flies up to the ceiling right above me as I'm preaching and doesn't move and stays there over me the entire time that I'm preaching. And then as soon as I'm done, about five minutes later, it flies down on one of the chairs and Josiah's able to go pick it up and take it home. And that thing lived for seven days. Now, the number is important because seven eyes, seven horns, the principle of seven And I didn't know what to do with that. And there were other things. There were other, like, weird confirmations that happened. But I knew this is a sign and a wonder. This is a sign and a wonder. See, I didn't expect that. I didn't believe that and so caused something in waveform to become concrete. There was no corporate agreement. There was no hypnosis. Like, let me tell you something, guys. There is there is a lot of BS that goes on in healing ministries and charismatic ministries, and there's a lot of BS that goes on with psychics. There's a lot of BS that goes on in psychic fairs and holistic fairs and things like that. What I'm saying is there are a lot of charlatans out there. There are a lot of phonies out there. But I'm going to tell you something. If you haven't learned something about me by now, I don't do fake. I don't do fake. So I was not a charlatan, and I was not a fake. I'm having these experiences and having to wrestle with them and grapple with them. And in many cases, our church, we collectively, not just me, but we collectively are having these experiences and there's no one else that can even relate to it. I could give you the name of ministers, but I won't out them, that that were known. One person in particular was known for his signs and wonders and power. And after two services with us, I remember having lunch with him the next day. And he said, I've been in this for 40 years. I've been known as the signs and wonders guy in my camp. And I have never been in a church like this where I have seen this kind of activity. But another guy that's one of the leaders of the Christian mystical movement that was in our church. And he said, I've never been in a church. And this was the language to use where the heavens opened and the angels were so active. And these are heavy hitters. So it wasn't fake. That's what I'm trying to say. But what did any of it mean? Why a monarch butterfly? 
Well, of course, you know, metamorphosis. I thought, okay, I'm going, I'm going through metamorphosis. I mean, I got the, I got the message right away. I'm becoming a butterfly. I'm, I'm going through a metamorphosis. Now, I'm going to talk about that word in a minute. But what is, what does that mean practically? What does that mean? I was still a pastor at the time. I had no idea that I was going to stop preaching on Sunday mornings and sit here on live videos with you guys. I had no idea the hell I was about to go through. <laughs> I thought I'd already been through hell. Remember, my dad died in 2015, burned out uh 2016. Um, mom died in 2017. Here I am, 2018, and I didn't even know about the hell that I was about to go through. And the change and the transformation. Didn't know that I was still the caterpillar. <laughs> I mean, the sign of the butterfly, right? I knew it was a sign. See, this is what I'm trying to say. It was a sign and a wonder. I wonder what this is. I wonder what this is about. This is a sign about something. This isn't something we brought into manifestation by faith. This isn't something that we expected to see and so a waveform collapsed into a butterfly. There's no explanation for it. That's why it's a wonder. <laughs> I mean, I've tried to come up with explanations for it. Maybe it hibernated for seven months. Maybe, I mean, I don't know. My rational, linear, logical mind has really tried to dismiss this way. So back to shape-shifting. One of my favorite passages that I would preach a lot is Romans 12, verses like 1 through 3. Paul says, offer your body as a living sacrifice. Offer your body as a living sacrifice. Do not be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. And break down some of the language there for you. First of all, sacrifice. There's lots to do with sacrifice, but in the ancient mind, sacrifice was opening a portal. That's why it had to be done in the temple. The temple was a gateway to another reality. It was the bridge or the gateway or the portal between the world of mortality and the world of immortality, or at least the world of humans and the world of gods. The veil in the temple represents materialism. But that's a topic for another day. The sacrifice wasn't an appeasement. That's a Western distortion. That's a Gentile heresy. That's a modern distortion. The sacrifice wasn't an appeasement of sin like we think about it, so God wouldn't be angry and would get rain. The slaying of the animal and the burning of the sacrifice was a transference, and it was meant to open a portal and create an exchange between what was mundane and what was numinous, between what was normal and what was extra normal, between, again, 
the human and the gods. So there's an exchange that's happening. So we're taking something of ours that we value and we're giving it to you. And so we're transferring it through this portal into that realm. And then we believe a grace or a power or something comes back. And so what Paul's saying when he says, present your bodies to God as a living sacrifice, he's talking about this sort of dynamic exchange that is meant to deify you. Apotheosis, the becoming of a god. It's into, it's in there. Because then he says, do not be conformed. And the, the word in the Greek for conformed there is where we get the word for schematics. Don't let the world become the schematic for how you operate. Don't let something outside of you become the schematic, the pattern, the, 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 that which forms your identity, that that which shapes you. Do not be shaped by the schematics of the world. But be transformed, metamorpho. It's where we get the word metamorphosis that we use to describe the caterpillar becoming the butterfly. But be go through this metamorphosis by the renewing of your mind. <laughs> go through this metamorphosis by the renewing of your mind. He doesn't use schematic. He doesn't say change schematics. He goes from using one word for formation, schematic, be conformed to the pattern pattern of this world. Be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Metamorphosis. Go through this metamorphosis. It's it's a it's a it's a it's a complete transformation of nature. In fact, the word metamorphosis in the ancient Greek to the ancient Greek philosophers meant to become a god, to become a divine human. To become deified humanity. And it was a word that originally described what magicians and, or it was believed that magicians and witches would do. And that would be to shape shift, to be able to turn from a human into a wolf or from like, like those old Dracula movies. Remember when Dracula would become a wolf or Dracula would become a bat, right? That was metamorphosis. And so there was this belief that shape-shifting was possible. There was this belief that that kind of magic was possible. And so when they would look at nature and they would watch the caterpillar go in, it would go in as a worm and it would come out flying like this beautiful, uh, this ugly worm that's just eating everything, goes into this pro- this chrysalis, goes into this cocoon, goes into this process, and then comes out of it this beautiful flying creature right so it's a it's a it's a shape-shifting it's a shape-shifting now this isn't conforming this isn't taking clay so here's how i would define the difference don't be conformed to the pattern of this world it's like say that you're clay and the world has a mold for you and you push that clay into the mold Now you've become conformed. But to be transformed is to be turned into something else altogether. Shape shifting. Here's what we do. There's there's a verse I want to read from Scripture, (laughs) just real quick, that I think is important to this. It is Jeremiah 8-7. It says, even the stork in the heavens knows her times, and the turtle dove, swallow, and crane keep the time of their coming. 
but my people do not know the judgment of the Lord. Think about it. Everything in nature has a rhythm and has an intuitive knowing. For the last three years, I've watched the same two birds return from wherever it is they go when it gets cold here, return at springtime, and build their nest, and raise their family, and feed it, and fly off. And this is the third year in a row. And they just know to do this stuff. It's just innately in them. Now, let's apply that to the caterpillar. The caterpillar innately knows to eat and build its cocoon. And it becomes a butterfly. That's just what it does. Because it doesn't have these self-reflective, overthinking processes that get in the way of it becoming what it was meant to become. It just follows its nature. It just follows its nature. And then it shapeshifts and it transforms. But I want you to consider something from a sort of human point of view. We know what the caterpillar is going to become when it goes in the cocoon. But the caterpillar most certainly doesn't know what it's going to become. It just surrenders itself to the cocoon. It just goes through the process. There's no resistance. <laughs> There's only flow. So as birds do what they do outside my window every day and every year because they're just in a flow state. There's nothing telling them they can't be that. There's nothing telling them to do something different. There's no looking around to see, oh, what are the other birds doing? Oh, okay, I better do that too, but that caterpillar, that caterpillar doesn't know what it's becoming. Imagine the process. I imagine that's a very painful process. I imagine that's a very difficult process. And watch this. It's a very isolated process. It's a very isolated process. It's cut off from the community of other caterpillars, if you will. It's in the corner. It's cut off. And it kind of did it to itself, right? Wasn't the other caterpillars pushed it off over there and said, get away from us. No, there was something in it that just said, I've, I've got to build this cocoon. I've, I've got to go through this process. No resistance to it whatsoever. A complete deconstruction. But not a deconstruction for the sake of being deconstructed. Not a shedding of the caterpillar just so it can look at its carcass and say, God, can you believe how stupid I was when I was a caterpillar and I was just eating all those leaves? I just crawling around on the ground. It was just completely worthless. Let's, let's dig it up and look at it some more. Let's make fun of it. Let's mock it. Let's post some clever memes about it. See, what I'm saying, and I'm only speaking for myself. I've gotten mad at religion. I've gotten mad at other people. 
I have approached people from my point of view, trying to get the, not even trying to get them to see it, wanting to feel right, wanting to feel justified, wanting to feel validated. So I still had a lot of the, those unmet needs. I, a lot of what I did in the church, almost everything I did in the church, was this mixture of power and presence and results and religious BS. I'm trying to keep my language good because this is on YouTube. I don't want to have to go in and change the settings or whatever. But you know what I'm saying? So there's this mixture of like this religious junk, right? And some of that religious junk was the way we would do church and the way we would do healing meetings and services. And so part of me did ministry for validation. Part of me did ministry for to fill in the gaps within my own self. To try to be somebody or look like somebody in someone else's eyes. And so I had to realize that a lot of the stuff that I would, when I would go at people, and I'm talking about, when I say go at people, I'm talking about putting really hostile posts sometimes or people responding in my comments. And instead of taking the approach, where is this person and how can I help this person? I took the approach of, you're wrong. I'm right. And I justify it a million different ways. So that, that was a version of me. That was a shape of me. But can I just be honest with you? i just been fighting the cocoon, man. I've been fighting the process of transformation that was initiated for me, not by me. Who knows when? Maybe when I was 29 years old. Maybe that's when it was initiated. All I know is that there has been something... Just maybe it's as simple as the stork in the sky and knowing it's time to migrate and knowing it's time to return. Maybe it's as simple as those two birds out there. Maybe it's just something innately in me that keeps me on this journey and keeps pulling me forward. Or maybe it's something else. When we say that we're Let me think about how I want to say this. Maybe there is something divine, source, creator, whatever. Maybe there is something, consciousness, universal mind, that guides and maybe even has been guiding me through this process. But I'm going to tell you right now. I don't want to get in that dang cocoon. I've been fighting that dang cocoon. <laughs> I've been fighting that dang process. 
overthinking that process. It's like the video game Caterpillar. You remember that video game, those of you that are old enough, that video game Caterpillar where the Caterpillar would come down like this and you'd have to shoot at it and it would all, it would reassemble itself and just keep coming. And that's the process I've been stuck in for like four years because it's like, it's like, I'm not what I was, but I don't really know what I'm becoming. And so every time I would lose another part of myself or feel like I lost another part of myself, I'd try to reassemble real quick and just keep marching, just keep doing, just just keep it going, just keep it going. Just keep reassembling. Instead of just fully embracing and surrendering to the process of what I am becoming. And so here's what I'd like to suggest. I would like to suggest that perhaps, perhaps, those of us that are in or have gone through this deconstructing process, perhaps we're trying to arrive too soon. And because it's happening to so many people and so many leaders and it's happening so globally and it's happening all around us, Perhaps, I'm going to use this term, perhaps what we are experiencing is a move of God that is the way of negativity that I talked about earlier, that is a death to our God concepts. A death to our sense of identity. Because we don't know that we're becoming butterflies. We don't know what's on the other side of the cocoon. See, for me to become a materialist, for me to become an anti-supernaturalist, and perhaps even for me to become just a, but in my mind, is an atheist. Perhaps, perhaps what I'm doing is getting into that cocoon, scared to death, because I don't know I'm becoming a butterfly. And so for me to become a materialist would be to crawl out of that cocoon and say, well, I'm just a caterpillar. Whew! There was so much pressure on me to become a butterfly. It's so much better just being a caterpillar. Man, I just feel so much better being a caterpillar. Man, those leaves, you know, I was told I couldn't eat those leaves. You can eat grass too? Man, I'm glad I got out of that crazy cocoon. See, that's what I haven't been able to get away from. Just, Just like the birds, just like the stork, just like that verse in Jeremiah. Something innately leading me and guiding me to embrace the process, but I've been embracing the process with resistance. 
Because I gotta believe there's more guys than just enjoying what's in the material world. I believe in that, but I gotta believe there's something more. I gotta believe there's more meaning. I gotta believe there's more purpose. I've gotta believe that we as human beings have a divine spark. And that's what I believe. And so going back to that experience with the butterfly that I had, it's in the throne. (laughs) It's in the elders. It's in the living creatures. It's in you. It's in me. See, I just believe that we are innately divine. And I believe that if we could just get out of our own way and we could get out of our own heads, we can become something far greater than what we have been. And so for a lot of you, I wonder if, like me, you've been resisting the process. I wonder if, like me, you don't know you're going to become a butterfly. And so because because here's what I'm suggesting. I'm suggesting that all that deconstructing, and all that peeling away of layers of what we believed and who we were is merely the beginning stages of a metamorphosis, that we are about to shape shift, that we are about to go from what we were to what we are becoming, and what we are becoming is far greater. And here's the key difference. Here's the key difference. All a caterpillar knows how to do is consume. All a caterpillar knows how to do is to be against something or be against someone. All a caterpillar knows how to do is to consume. So we're going to consume beliefs or we're going to consume uh, one another or we're going to consume for the sake of our own unmet needs. See what I'm saying? But a butterfly pollinates. A butterfly is not only more beautiful, a butterfly is not only more unlimited, a butterfly is not only able to fly and move around and see things from a totally different perspective, a butterfly is shedding life everywhere it goes. Every flower that it touches, every weed that it touches, it's leaving some pollination, it's leaving something that's going to change everything that it touches. It's going to change everybody around them. They can't help but do it. It's just in their nature to do it. They don't have to think about it. It's not self-sacrifice. It's not staying up necessarily to wee hours in the morning, holding bedside vigils next to people that are dying. It's just floating from here to there. And because your very nature has been transformed by the metamorphosis process, you're just spreading life and giving life and you're improving and bettering the life of everybody that you touch. You're improving everything that you go towards. You're no longer just consuming. You're no longer just feeding for your own ego and your own unmet needs and your own religious traumas. You've embraced the process. You've shape-shifted into something completely different. And now you don't have to chase prosperity. You don't have to chase abundance because you are the spreader of prosperity. You are the spreader of abundance. And maybe some of us have crawled out of the cocoon. Maybe some of us have put up too much resistance. And maybe we need to look at that and we need to say, okay, where's the resistance in my life? Because I know what I've been resisting. It's finally crystal clear to me. (laughs) 
I know that I got into this to help people. And I'm talking about when I was 18 years old. I know I got into this to help people. I know I got into this to explore the mysteries of life. I know I got into this because I wanted to bring healing to myself. And when I would get healing for myself, I wanted to share it with the world around me. I wanted to find empowerment empowerment for myself. And when I found empowerment for myself, I wanted to share it with the world around me. And the mystical and the metaphysical and the magical and the supernatural was always part of who I was. And because I haven't had the schematic, I haven't had the schematic, I left the schematic of the church. I left the schematic. My God concept died. But the root of being and the connection and the principles and the presence and the power, that which transcends language, that has never left me. And so I've been looking for a new schematic to put it in. Maybe it's the New Age movement over here. No, that's not it. Maybe it's uh, this group over here. No, that's not it. Maybe it's uh, <laughs> Buddhism or Hinduism. No, that's not it. Maybe it's aliens and you'll felt, no, that's not it. Don't be conformed where we get the word schematic. Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. The world isn't just people that, you know, smoke and cuss and chew and run with those that do. The world is society. Don't, don't force yourself to fit into society's schemas. But allow yourself to be transformed. Allow yourself to go through this process and embrace it. So that's my word to you this morning. I hope that's helpful. I hope, I hope at least somebody's able to see that you didn't go through all this hell of religious trauma and deconstruction and all this stuff. You didn't go through all of this for nothing. You didn't go through all of this to just crawl out of the cocoon and look at the other caterpillars and say, well, I guess I'm just a caterpillar, but hey, it's fun. It's enjoyable. It's great life. I'm fine the way I am. I'm just perfect. I don't need to change. I don't need to do anything differently. Woohoo! Let's go eat some more leaves. Come on. Come on. There's something waiting for us on the other end of this process that I believe is going to be beautiful and powerful and magical. So break it all down to one key principle. Can we let go of resistance and embrace flow? Can we just embrace flow? I guess I'm preaching to myself today and I'm asking myself, Can I, once and for all, have the faith in myself and have the courage to see the process all the way to the end, trusting my own internal guidance system in the process? I hope this helped you. Um, I've gone over time. Uh, I'm definitely going to go back and look at the comments 
Um, but thank you guys for joining me for this. I hope it's helped you. Um, like I said, I can't wait to go back. Yeah, let me see. Let me just do that. Let me just do that. <laughs> Lots of good mornings. Hey, everybody. So good to see everybody. Thank you so much for joining. Um, ben says, for me personally, jumping to the pole of devout secularism from religious fundamentalism is too extreme, given how much we cannot fathom from our vantage as finite creatures. This is why I bounce around between casual theism and curious, curious agnosticism. I respect that others' mileage may vary. Derek says, I'm dead to any God concept yet. <laughs> uh, Derek says, can't discount supernatural experiences, but I am certainly aren't God. Um, blind spots are why we need trusted others, absolutely. Um you have to want healing to be healed. Jeremy Colorelli says, I'm so glad to be here with you, my friend. Jeremy's one, one once I, I abandoned, by the way, <laughs> unknowingly. So part of my mea culpa today was, was for Jeremy. Um, Derek says, you're an awesome human. Thank you, Derek. I feel the same way about you. Uh, no form of theology is orthodox, Ben says. That's a good point. <laughs> Robert Osborne, I believe all pastors go into ministry starry-eyed and blind to the reality of how hurtful Christians can be. I know I thought that things will be different with me. So many good comments. I don't want to skip over any of them, but I'll be here another hour if I... Uh, Roger Brown says, I remember that service and the butterfly on the ceiling and the story you told of Josiah finding the tissue box with it inside. Thank you, Roger, for uh, bearing witness to that so people... No, there were other people that saw it too. Um, anyway, like I said, I, I could keep going. Ooh, Vanessa Brooks says, uh, we release the need to know and to prove. Yeah, I like that. Release the need to know and the need to prove. Very important. Parts. Because see, when we need to know, we need to prove we're in that resistance, aren't we? We step out of that flow state and we step back into resistance. All right. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for all the comments. Um, and uh, uh, I just love you guys so much. And thank you for listening to this full <laughs> talk on Sundays and any other time that you listen to me. Um, I do. Uh, we are. In the process, we still have a ministry. We are in the process of trying to become a butterfly. And uh, so everything we do right now, we put out for free. So I did put our PayPal link. It goes to our ministry, not to me directly. And our ministry, all the funds are overseen by a fantastic board of directors, uh, wonderful people. Some of them you know on here. Roger is on the board. Um, and I just... Uh, want to say, if you want to support our work, $5, $20, if you can give monthly, um, I've got the PayPal link at the bottom. That really, really helps us as we move forward and as we plan and as we strategize. I appreciate all of you. Love all of you. Namaste. God bless you. Uh, peace out. Um, and uh, I don't know how to close. That was always my problem, even as a pastor. I didn't know how to close. 
Bye. Hope you're well.